Hello everyone, this is Bobby Moran and welcome to the All-American Outdoor Podcast. This week on the show we have Ethan and Kat Pippett and they are the proud owners of Standing Stone Kennels um, and they train and breed German Shorthair Pointers, which happens to be my favorite breed of dog. So we hope you'll enjoy this episode as we learn about the training and the breeding of some awesome short hairs. All right, friends, I have Kat and Ethan from Standing Stone on the line. Guys, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Doing really well. How about you guys? Doing really good this morning. Really good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Uh, so uh, how's the dog training going on that end? Good? Good. Always busy. You guys have a busy morning already, I assume. Um, well, we set aside a little bit of time for this, and then, um, yeah, then we got lots of stuff to do this afternoon. <laughs> well, thanks for making time for us. We really appreciate it. Um, okay, I guess we'll just dive right in then. Um, kind of, I just want to start and give you guys kind of the opportunity to tell us, you know, where you're from and how you guys kind of got into the short hair breeding scene and training, of course, too. Yeah, well, we are in Kansas, uh, South Central Kansas, um, just outside of a little town called Pretty Prairie. Uh, more people are probably familiar with Wichita. Um, and we are just west of Wichita, about 45 minutes. Sweet, sweet. And you guys just recently moved there, right? Like in the last yeah, couple of years? Two and a half years. Uh, pre prior to that, we were in northwest Kansas, a uh, small town called Norton, just outside of there. Sweet, sweet. And so how did you guys, I guess obviously you're married and you guys have recently had a, a little one. Uh, yeah. How did you guys meet, and where did you guys meet? Uh, well, we actually met in a basically a mutual hobby that both of our families shared. Um, it's kind of like a reenacting style camping, similar to Civil War reenactments, but not so much around actual battles or I don't know what they call that specifically, but it's fur, more fur trading era and... It's kind of a fun family thing to do in the summer. Yeah, we sleep in canvas tents, cook over open fires, shoot muzzle odors, bows and arrows, throw tomahawks, all that old-timey stuff, uh, which we both really enjoy, and that's actually how we met. That sounds really cool. <laughs> uh, that is uh, an awesome, very Grizzly Adams-esque story, I feel like. <laughs> I, wish, I wish my love story sounded like that, yeah. but it doesn't. <laughs> It, awesome. As you say, Grizzly Adams, too, because um, one of the funny things about rendezvous is that a lot of people can take on, well, usually not take on, usually they earn a camp name. Yeah. And um, mo not most, there's a lot of guys named Grizzly. Or Grizz. Or Grizz. <laughs> this was, uh, it was a few years ago, but there was a, a little boy that was walking around and he was like, can you help me find my dad? And we're like, Sure. What's your, I mean, what's your dad's name? Well, he goes by Grizz and he has a beard, you know, so it's like, oh well, you my just gosh. Have to, so. 
I, I was going to say, when I envision a, a Grizz or a Grizzly Adams, I imagine a guy that stands about six foot three with a gnarly beard and looks like he yeah. walked out of a cave somewhere. <laughs> you are spot on. Oh, that's funny. Well, that's awesome. And so then, so you guys met that way. And then how did you guys get into dog training and breeding? Well, Ethan and I got married and we both have always enjoyed the outdoors and hunting, but we've never really owned hunting dogs. So we decided after we got married that that was kind of our next step is to get a dog together. And we did some research. Uh, Ethan had gotten some suggestions um, from some clients of his prior to getting into the dog world. And we hit on short hairs that that would be a good fit for us. So we found our first short hair. Um, we mainly didn't go about it the right way or the best way. <laughs> uh, we found one in the paper and, you know, learn, <laughs> learned from our mistakes, I guess. She ended up being a really nice dog, but she was a little wild and crazy to begin with. Mm. Uh, but we got our first dog that way uh, and decided uh, with this wild and crazy dog, we needed a little help to figure out how to train her, calm her down, that sort of thing. We Yep. A little help. We need a lot of help. Yeah, we probably need a lot of with Sammy, but... Your dog didn't get a, a nickname, crazy anything, without earning it, so... That's funny. <laughs> I got a feeling my little dog right now is going to be nicknamed crazy something when I'm done with her, too. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. And, and um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to school... Uh, both of us are going to school at the time, and I have a background in technology. I went to, we were up at University of North Dakota, and I was studying computer science, and I worked for the Geek Squad um, to nice. pay my school. So I had some technology background, so instantly I start going to the internet. That's this day and age anyway. Yep. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of good content out there wasn't really at that point in time there wasn't even a lot of content out there i remember finding a this was 10 years ago right yeah there i mean i found the first thing that i found that i was pretty excited about was this like newsletter that you signed up for and they would email you it didn't cost anything but they would email you weekly like training checkups and you followed along the progress with this little lab okay. And about, I don't know, a month into that, the lab puppy was still learning its name or something. Yeah, so uh -huh. it was cool at first. There were like two or three sessions that was helpful, and then it just didn't go anywhere. So right. we um, continued the search. I came across some videos, which is, um, you know, really a big part of what we try and do today. They were basically raw, unedited footage of training sessions. And the videos were long. They'd be anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes, which yep. on YouTube back then, that was considered a really long video. Yeah. Or even they had to cut them off at 10 minutes and spread them into multiple videos because uh, okay. recently you could post a video longer, longer than, than 10, 10 minutes. minutes. So, right. um, but we reached out to them and I said, hey, maybe I could help you with these videos make them look a little more professional or look a little nicer Yeah, uh, for a little bit of help with this dog. And <laughs> that kind of turned into a full-time job. Wow. 
Yeah. We, uh, we, we worked that way. Um, and that's a, that's a big part of where I got experience. I did a lot of, uh, maintenance work. So they had finished dogs already and I handled those and I helped with videos yeah. and a lot on the job basically. And then that kind of turned into a full-time training position. So, wow. That's sweet. Yeah. It's uh, definitely an un unforeseen change of events or turn of events, but um, it turned out really well for us. Yeah. And then at what point did you guys decide, okay, we'd like to do this for ourselves? We, um, you know, we really didn't, uh, we wanted to move kind of closer to family and I got an opportunity to move down here. A lot of my family's from Kansas and okay. my, um, my uncle owns a, a couple of grocery stores and at the time he owned one and was getting ready to buy another. And he said, you know, I really could use some help from a store manager type stuff and I need somebody that I can move into that position and trust right away rather than having to build rapport because I mean there's a lot of cash flow that runs through a grocery store yeah somebody with lots of cash takes time so absolutely family yeah trusting family is a little bit easier definitely um and we had our own personal dogs um at the time so our our plan was just to move closer to family um out of the horrid cold of North Dakota and Minnesota. I hear that. Um, keep, you know, playing games with our dogs, hunting yeah. and training and stuff. But, you know, Ethan was going to move into a grocery store manager type of position. <laughs> yeah. And after we moved, um, we started getting a lot of phone calls. People asking if we were still training dogs because they knew we'd left and everything else. And, and we, well, we changed our numbers from up there to, you know, down here in yeah. Kansas, changed to a Kansas, actually Norton phone number, um, for each of us. And, um, so people, it took people a while to find us again after changing numbers and, right. you know, not being on the same Facebook page and everything mm-hmm. else, but eventually people tracked us down somehow. Kind of sounds sound stalkerish, doesn't it? Yeah. People are persistent, aren't they? Good night. Yeah. And within about four months after moving, we had such an overwhelming number of contacts that we just decided we'd try and try and do it for ourselves. Wow. Yeah, we, moved, we moved in June um, of 2012. Okay. And basically uh, had to put up a kennel because we were so busy by that November. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And so yep. that's, it basically just fell Explo- into your lab for lack of a better word. Yeah. I mean, it yes. did. And for a very long time, uh, Ethan and I did this by ourselves. Right. I mean, it was just him and I and with dogs, um, live animals, they are a 24 seven commitment. I mean, there's no getting away. There's no, no um, just feed yourself and scoop your poop for the weekend type of thing. It's, uh, you're pretty much tied down. Um, and though we were married to each other, we were definitely very much married to the business. So yeah, that was our life for about five years out in Norton, just intermittent help. Um, we had some help here and there. We had a trainer that worked for us for a while as well. Sure. Um, 
for about a year, not quite. And then after that, we just decided, you know, we want to continue to grow, but we're not in an area that is conducive to that. We basically can't keep growing and we can't keep doing this for ourselves without going insane. I mean, just 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day, you just... For five years, you get pretty worn out with yeah. in between there. So, yeah, that's a brutal, brutal schedule of events you had going there. So we're, we're like begging family members to try and take a vacation. Can you come watch the kennel for like three days? You know, <laughs> please, please, please. Um, yeah, we had a family member's wedding that we were both in. I was in the wedding party. Ethan was in the wedding party, and we're like hmm, how are we going to go to this wedding considering we can't ask family to watch the kennel for us because they are also at the wedding? We're like, huh. So Conda buddy. <laughs> Conda friend. <laughs> Isn't that how it always works? And he's from yeah. the Upper Peninsula, and we're in Canada. Oh, no. So he came down and helped us out. <laughs> Would you come all the way down here to help us take care of our dogs for the weekend? So, yep. So now with and your... Uh, and has he has not come back since? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now that you have the new addition, uh, how does that change things? In well, the whole he is. Um, I don't know. I'll let you see him here. Oh he man! Just turned six weeks old, and he's definitely changed our lives. But because we work from home, and my mom actually. Um, moved down to Kansas from North Dakota. So we kind of have a built-in babysitter whenever we need. Man. I'm basically getting off of my maternity leave, if you will. Um, yeah. I've, I've been doing a lot with like the bookkeeping, paperwork, updating. We just um, updated our website. I've been helping with uh, that. It looks good. Well, thank you. Yeah, it looks great. And then... Uh, now that he's getting a little bit older and my maternity leave, if you will, is coming to an end, grandma's going to help take care of him um, and be our babysitter so that we can, I can get back to training a little more full time. So, yeah, that's it, awesome. Yeah, very cool. So, because, um, like I said, we work from home and he's just going to get to learn to travel with us and we're going to, we're going to raise him in the lifestyle of, dog training we're we're rooting for dog training and hunt tests and not baseball man <laughs> that sounds like a great life to live growing up with dogs man i'd almost rather grow up with dogs than brothers and sisters <laughs> uh the real question is how did you guys must be really persuasive getting your buddy down there to watch your dogs and grandma moving all the way from north dakota <laughs> well um, first of all, first grandbaby, and we've been married for 10 years, so she pretty much mm. uh, has been biding her time for a very long time and being pretty patient. So she said, you know, I am going to be right there along the, you know, the entire um, process because I want to be involved and see him because otherwise we really couldn't get away. Even with help at the kennel consistently, we can't get all the way up to North Dakota very often. So uh, she definitely wanted to move down for her own reasons. <laughs> Maybe right. we weren't that persuasive, um, but he's pretty persuasive, I think. Yeah, he's um, the persuasive one. I'm sure there are probably a lot of folks head over heels for your little one right now. <laughs> 
And that's awesome. And so I guess just so my listeners know, this is your full-time gig. You guys don't do any other work aside from train dogs. Right. We train full-time. Uh, we also have a breeding program. And um, that's it. Dogs. Yeah. How, many, how many dogs do you guys work with at a time? And also right how, much, how much staff do you guys have? Because I know you guys yeah. have some additional folks training dogs and doing some stuff for you guys. Yeah, um, our kennel facility right now holds 26 dogs, um, and we, so it's Ethan and I that work um, and train full-time. Obviously, when I get off of my maternity leave, I'll be back to the full-time stuff. Right. Um, and then we have another full-time trainer. We just hired a second full-time trainer that will be starting the middle of January, so pretty soon here. And then we have two other um, kennel attendants that help with care and feeding of the dogs. That uh, they also do a little bit of obedience maintenance during their shifts as well. Right. Um, but they're not full-time trainers. Okay. Sweet. They the help itself is is the saving grace of the situation. I mean, you really we couldn't do it without them. I mean, yeah. really. When we were back in Norton, we were about at that tipping point of we either need to move and grow our business and find good help or we need to do something different because we cannot be responsible for everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys have your hands full. Um, do you guys find any time yourselves to get out and do any hunting? Or I, Ethan, I see that you might do a little guiding. What what does that get you guys into? Do you guys hunt together, or can you speak to that side a little bit? Yeah. So the guiding aspect of things, I do a little bit. Um, I am relatively particular about who I like to run dogs for. So for sure. it's it's one of those things that. Um, you need the right people. I mean, dogs are rare. They're more than just tools. And absolutely people don't respect that. So we want to, you know, we want to make sure that with the right people. And I got in with a, a really good group in South Dakota. Um, it's a lot of repeat groups, same guys every year. So, yeah. and I've been doing that for the last, ooh, I think this was the sixth season. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, sixth season. And then I guide for one other guy um, in Texas I, every once in a while when he needs help. So we do a little bit of that. It's um, it's really, really, really good experience for the dogs, especially to bring a dog that's on the edge. They know everything, but they just haven't seen the birds. Right. Uh, you put them up in an area where there's a lot of birds and they can learn a lot in a short amount of yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. And so those guided hunts, are those your personal dogs or are you, you know, training other people's dogs while you're doing those hunts? What's, what does that look like? It's a combination. kind of just depends on the year and where we're at. Um, From a, from a (laughs) uh, consistency standpoint, like being able to make sure that everything is on par. I've got at least half my dogs that, you know, are the go-to dogs that then, you filter in some of the young ones or right. experience. But, but we do require that if Ethan's going to take some of these younger dogs um, out guiding with him and be part of his guide string, that they have had a minimum of a few months of training here with us. I it's gotcha. not just 
gone through the program. They've gone through the program, and this is basically the finishing touches to get them some experience on wild birds, but um, the culmination of their training. But it's uh, important that they have the groundwork before we just throw them out in the field in front of clients. Right. Yep. Right, for sure. And we get some repeats back. You know, um, it's been last few years I get a couple dogs in for warm-ups you know like they hunt their seasons don't start till later so they send them up with me for a couple of weeks in south dakota and then they get dogs that are in shape and right tuned up and ready to go for so. sure for sure that's awesome um okay let i guess we're going to kind of transition into the kind of the breeding aspect of things how many how many dogs do you guys own personally how many are in your breeding program that you guys have there yeah, so that changes fairly regularly. Uh, okay. I think right now we have 10 dogs. Um, it, the reason that that's a hard question to answer is because we'll be developing dogs. We, For example, we own a young puppy named Quest. Okay. She, she's going on eight months old, but we are still evaluating her to see if she's going to be part of my breeding program. You know, okay. there's a lot that goes into our, our breeding program. There's a lot that goes into... It, you can call it your breeding program. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into meeting the requirements to keep a dog for our program. It's just not, oh, well, we kept this puppy. It's automatically going to make the cut. Okay. And so we own her, but she's not yet part of the breeding program. So it's like, how many dogs do you own? How many dogs are you breeding? It's right. like, it's, it's fluid. But we, right now we have um, five females that are part of our breeding program. And then we have three males that are part of our breeding program. Okay. Because we also have this old guy here. Uh, yes, the old man of the group, huh? Grandpa Rex, I mean, he's 13. We he own him, and he just he just woke up. He hasn't even been out this morning. <laughs> Living the good life. That's, but, um, that's probably his position for the rest of the day is in that bed, right? Pretty much. You know, we, we try and get him to go out to the bathroom at least once in the morning. But um, So, again, he's not part of our breeding program right. anymore, but he still lives at home with us. So sure. The number is fluid. <laughs> right, right. So this, okay, so take, for example, this new puppy that you guys have. <laughs> if at a year, year and a half, you guys evaluate and go, I don't think we want her as a part of the breeding program. Are you are you then selling her to someone who wants a finished dog? Or are you guys keeping her kind of in the house as, as the family pet, for lack of a better word? So with a young dog, like at a year and a half, I decide... You know, she's not quite what we want to involve in our breeding program. Right. That would be when she would become available as a trained dog. And okay, though we love these dogs like family and they live. Yeah, I was going to say that must be hard. <laughs> they are basically, our kids. I mean, our fur babies. Other than you know, now we actually do have a real baby. Yep. Um, it's also a business. We run a business, and if I have this dog or that dog that didn't work out, or I have to retire early, you know, for one reason right. or another breeding program I would fill up our house because we keep all of our dogs in the house with us yeah. with unfortunately dogs that aren't able to be bred and then I can only have so many dogs in the house without going insane yeah a young dog like that that still has you know years of hunting left we would sell as a trained dog sure um, 
we've got grandpa over here. He's not going anywhere. You know, he's, first of all, he's been part of the family for so long that it'd be really hard to part with him as well as nobody really wants a 13 year old dog that can't hear. Probably not. (laughs) Just hang out sleeps all day. So, um, we do move some of those dogs along as trained dogs. Uh, for example, we, um, we're in the process of keeping another dog for our breeding program as a male, okay. um, Bex, which he's our um, last male that we kept for our program as a, uh, a dog. And he's now going on four and okay. he'll, he'll be four in March. And it took us four males before we got wow. there. So, you know, we kept a dog, we started evaluating it and said, you know, they're not quite right. So it took us um, over four years to get another dog that we wanted for our breeding program. Uh, And had we kept, you know, those four males. That's a lot of dogs. That's a lot of dogs that are just hanging around um, and being part of the family when they can go and be excellent hunting and family dogs for somebody else. So to touch on two things, first of all, you asked about if we sell them as a finished dog. Those are um, words that we try and get away from, like started. Mm -hmm. And and the reason for that is is they mean so many different things. One guy says, ah, it's a finished dog, you know, and the next guy says, well, that might be what I'd call a started dog or something. So we often just refer to them as trained dogs, like Kat said. I love that explain the level of training that they have completed or have mastered or however you want to say that. But the next thing is from a breeding program standpoint, um, I think that almost to a fault, even I'm too honest about what our dogs are. Yeah. And we, we look at, you know, there is no such thing as a perfect dog. 100% not. Absolutely. you have to look at, is this a trait that they carry um, that we need to breed away from or that we need to not reproduce okay. or that this is just something that I want to improve on? You know, for example, you've got a dog that is really good at pointing and backing and is good in the water, but maybe, I don't know, doesn't have quite as good a confirmation. Right. Um, but you're breeding for the show ring and that's... Um, you know, that might be something that we can say, let's, we've got the ability here. Yep. Let's work on improving her confirmation via breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You know, and like you were saying, like you seemed a little surprised by the fact that we washed out, as I call it, so many dogs to get to one. Yeah. You aren't doing that, you never, in my opinion. You're not going to improve. You're not I going mean, to improve the breed. Absolutely. And, absolutely. And point, um, not okay. every dog is worth breeding. Not every dog is worthy of breeding. Yeah. And it's the same as not every athlete is going to make the NFL. Um, right. Or the every the every show cow is not going to win the grand champion steer, you know. Right. And, and breeders and we feel that we're, you know, ethical breeders. Yeah. We're trying to always improve the breed. Um, we're not trying to go backwards and say, well, we're just breeding dogs to breed dogs to make more puppies. Right. And cares if they retrieve and who cares if they've got natural pointing instinct people just want puppies well that's not what we want right uh, i would rather cut a dog from our breeding program that is um not got the traits that we're looking for so if, yeah. if they're not natural retrievers 
And the only way to get them to retrieve is to do a forced fetch or a trained retrieve like we call it. Yep. Uh, those puppies out of that dog are also not going to be natural retrievers. Right. So why am I going to produce an entire litter of puppies that aren't going to retrieve and are going to need a forced fetch trained retrieve? Right. So we um, would say that would probably not be a dog we want to keep for our breeding program. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is all great information. I guess uh, that kind of answers this next question, but what are some of those qualities that you're looking for in a dog that you want to breed? Are there certain things that just make you go, okay, um, no, we're, we're going to wash this one out or, okay, this is a dog we want to keep. What, you know, can you kind of hit on a couple of those? What are those qualities that you're looking for in a, in a stud or a female dog? Now, the, the other thing that I want to touch on with that to start with is you have to have a direction in which you're trying to breed. And that's different for every person. Yeah. So somebody may look at my dogs that wants to run field trials or wants to run, you know, even if they just hunt out west or they hunt in the southwest near South Texas, the, the country's different. They've got to perform differently in order to be able to meet the task at hand. Um, so it's a, it's a question that needs to be asked. First of all, is what direction are you trying to breed? And then you can establish what characteristics are best to breed for. Right. In that. Yeah. Now with specifically, um, we are looking for family oriented, versatile companions mm. and that would be dogs that can be and and in that order, they have to be a good part of the family. And they have to be able to do both upland and, I mean, not, we're not breeding pure duck dogs, but have some versatility to be able to swim. Because, I mean, a majority of the country that we hunt around, there's ponds or sloughs or whatever. And I don't, I think at least half a dozen times it happened this fall in South Dakota that a bird got dropped in the water. Yeah. And dogs had to go get it. So, or I had to go get it. Somebody was getting it. <laughs> so, so and you don't want to have to track all the way back to the truck to get the the canoe out. You know, you just no. <laughs> that's why you have dogs that want to do it. Um, and then also, Ethan mentioned before, field trial dogs and things like that. Yeah. Oh, are breeding foot hunting dogs, um, mm-hmm. dogs that you don't have to chase on horseback that want to be you know a mile away from you. We want them i don't want to say close working where they're underfoot but in um a nice comfortable foot hunting range right right you don't want them running all over the place when you're trying to shoot a bird that's 20 30 40 yards from you exactly and and, and that's what we prefer to hunt behind so that's what we absolutely well yeah and that's a little different for some people you know we've got some clients that need their guys that are that are still getting after it um i think a uh, gentleman just bought Mandy. He's in his mid to late 70s. I think 77. He, wow. t- we he comes up South Dakota every year, and I think we celebrate his 77th birthday, if I'm remembering correctly. I hope I'm 77 when I'm still hunting. <laughs> exactly. And this old boy gets around. I mean, he... But, but- is slowing down in a sense that he's no spring chicken in his 20s. <laughs> yeah. So having a dog that... Is cooperative. Yeah. And maybe works a little bit closer than some others. You know, I mean, that was part of the decision factor in helping set him up with a dog is 
um, this, you know, I think this dog will be a really good fit for you because it has, again, in, in this order, this is the, the order that which I'm breeding, family oriented. Absolutely. Because first and foremost, we've got to be able to live with them. You've got to be able to live with them. Yep. And then versatile companions. So to be able to hunt upland and waterfowl and that dog is, you know, Mandy was her name. She was part of our program. She was one of the dogs that we ended up washing out at a younger age. And so and I say what Ethan says, washing out, we retired her early because she was, accurate. yeah, retired her early because she was having really small litters. Um, her last litter, she had four puppies yep. uh, and she was still young and healthy that she should be producing a little bit larger litters. Sure. Um, her first litter, she had seven puppies and that's a little more average. So for us, the, because they are part of our family, it's not worth us putting them through a pregnancy and a litter for only a couple of puppies. Um, and obviously with decreased litter size, we look at it as why, why are right. we our litter size? It's probably not in that dog's best interest to keep breeding. Mm. Um, so we make the decision that, you know, she should probably be retired early yeah. and, you know, she's only four and a half, five years old. So, so do I stick her in the mix yeah. of, until she's 13, 14 years old, or do we find her an awesome family that's going to love to hunt behind her for the next, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Tyler, you got any questions? Well, I, I, I have one and I'm mm -hmm. still kind of new to all of a lot of this. So I guess, do you have a lot of, do you have people that come to you and ask you guys to train their dogs or do you typically uh, have, you know, go from your own, litters uh, to be able to place with these people? Right. Good question. Uh, we train all dogs, not just short hairs, but we train all breeds okay. of dog as well as even with short hairs, they're not all short hairs from our breeding program. Um, we do train a lot of the dogs that we've produced. Um, a lot of our puppy buyers are interested in sending them back to us for training um, and testing, but uh, we also work with a lot of dogs from other kennels. So. Sure. About 60 to 70% of our business is currently training dogs for other people, whether that be dogs from our program or dogs from other programs, just, but training for the general public is about 60 to 70% of our business. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So kind of moving on into this breeding and buying sort of deal, um, uh -huh. if I am a guy looking for a new hunting dog, um, and I am coming to you guys to get a puppy or just any breeder to get a puppy, what are kind of the questions that I should be raising in order to get the best dog possible? You know, what are those, you know, yeah. do you guys have questions that you're like asking, like if you're going to go buy a dog from a, from a breeder other than yourself, what, what, what kind of questions are you going to ask? You know, so these listeners know, you know, if, if I want to go get a hunting dog or even a family dog, these are the qualities that I want to look for in a puppy. For sure. Uh, one of the first things, no matter whether you're getting a dog from us or another breeder is I would highly recommend stress finding a puppy that's going to be out of healthy lines. So finding a breeder that does some health clearances with their dogs, um, tests hips, 
uh, eyes, that sort of thing, but also, um, you know, that doesn't have any history in their lines of producing puppies with a genetic disorder or something like that. Um, because you don't want to get a puppy that in a year and a half has a health issue that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of its life, unfortunately. Um, the health of the dog is really important um, that are being bred as well as the health of the puppies being produced. I would say that's a really important factor. It is. And yeah. the next, you know, the other thing that you can look at right off the bat would be something comes back around to what we talked about with the breeding program is knowing what you're trying to produce. This would be the same thing as having an honest, um, you know, an honest view of what you need the dog for. Right. Are you looking for a pet? Are you looking for a hunting dog? How many days a year are you hunting? What type of hunting are you doing? What part of the country are you in? And that's going to help drive where you should start looking for dogs. You know, if you are somebody that primarily duck hunts, you yep. want to find a breeder that has the versatility in their program, not go to something that's primarily field-based uh, and great field dogs don't always make great duck dogs. So right. know what you want to hunt. Um, same with, you know, like, hey, I'm going to hunt in the grouse woods. Typically, you want a dog that's super cooperative and going to hunt closer because the grouse woods are thick and you don't yeah. want to lose your dog and you don't want them out, you know, um, half a mile, mile away on point because you're never going to find them. Right. Um, you know, so knowing the type of hunting that you do, like Ethan said, even if it's not, oh, well, I waterfall hunt or I upland hunt, well, what other species are you going to be hunting, you know? Right. The thing that's a pretty common misconception, I think, and it's not always the buyer's fault in this. I think that a lot of people um, ride coattails, per se, um, and sell based on titles. My dogs are titled, but they don't right. go in what type of titles they are. And if those titles are in conjunction with the goals that you're looking for, sure. or you see a lot of pedigrees with field trial titles in them. Most people don't need that. Or want to hunt behind that just in the sense that that dog is going to be a big running dog. You know, but we get right. it happens in the, in the training standpoint. And I know we're getting a little off topic, but it's all, so we get a dog in for training and somebody says, here's my pedigree. And look, he's a, uh, there's a whole bunch of titles behind it. Dog should have a lot of. Should be a great dog. Should be a great bird dog, whatever. So, well, gotcha. that's great, but I would assume this dog's going to run. And then they end the same conversation say, I'd like the dog to stay within 50 yards. Okay. <laughs> well, we are going to have a lot of work to try and condition a closer working dog um, because we're fighting against natural the breeding yeah, yeah. The, the the natural instinct, yeah brought in by breeding so all the way back around being honest about what you're looking for and what you need out of the dog and then going to breeders that show that you know i mean there are lots of different ways titles are a good way to show proof if you're going to somebody that doesn't title their dogs it's not the end of the world doesn't mean you're not going to get a good dog but if that's the case look at the siren dam if possible, maybe go hunt behind them or something yeah. and see if that style of hunting is what you're looking for. Because Absolutely. that's what you're going to get out of a puppy. Yep. 
I mean, that's what a breeding program is ultimately trying to produce is a blend of what mom and dad are. Yeah. The apple and doesn't fall far from the tree. Yes. Everything is genetic. genetic. Yeah. Um, huh. That's a really, that's, I mean, that's awesome. That's not something that I ever kind of would have figured. So to throw it into, throw some actual information around that could be beneficial. Yep. If you're looking for the versatile dog, um, Navda's testing system is probably the best in the United States as far as testing for that. Okay. Truly testing a dog's ability to do upland work and a dog's ability to do obedience work and a dog's ability to do waterfowl work. They've got um, all of the facets. Okay. We have AKC hunt tests. Right. Hunt tests are unless you have a wire hair or what's the other breed that requires it? Remember? I think like a wine or something. I don't know. I don't know if it's a Weimariner. I... There are one or two breeds. I know a wire hair is for sure one. Um, they have a, uh, a, and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but a joke of a water test. They have to do like one retrieve out of a water with a dead bird. Um, okay. It doesn't truly show that dog's versatile, but it shows that they will swim to make a retrieve. So, right. um, well, it, it shows versatility, but it doesn't show that that dog's going to make a solid duck dog, let's say. Right. Because there's a lot more to it about sitting steady and cooperation from a handling standpoint and marking and all of the other things. But AKC hunt tests are a good um, a good example of a field-bred foot hunting dog. So a dog that's going to be general foot hunting lanes, be able to cooperate. And if you're looking at the higher levels of achievement there, senior or master, um, you've got a dog that's, that probably has a lot of trainability and a lot of um, ability to work with handler cooperation at a bare minimum. So, And then there's AC field trials, and those are going to be more of a competition as well as um, – looking for bigger running dogs that put on a show, uh, that sort of thing. And there's different levels of field trials, um, and they require different levels of run and different styles of dog. But ultimately, all of it is a little bit more than either NAVDA or NAVDA's testing or AKC's hunt tests from a a range and handle standpoint. Right, right. You've also got um, NASTRA, which would be the... National Shoot to Retrieve Association, I okay. believe. Um, NSTRA. Um, that's a run and gun type of environment. It's quality bird dogs that are good at pointing birds, retrieving, um, and it is pretty fast paced. Fast paced, time cooperation. So usually you get fast ground speed, but you get dogs that are, are pumped and ready to go. Yeah. Is off of foot. Um, so there are dogs that are staying in a, a general decent range, but maybe a little more amped up than some others, but master would also be a good way to find, find some really nice dogs. Um, cool. Nice hunting. Dogs. Nice hunting. Uh, Cause that's ultimately, you know, what we're talking about and looking for right. the oriented side of things, as well as dogs that are going to make great hunting dogs. But you've got to keep in mind that there's other titles out there. So letters and things like that on a pedigree don't always mean that they are hunting dogs either. Right. Because 
agility. There's um, show ring. There's those type of canine good citizen. There's obedience. those type of titles as well that okay. just a bunch of letters. If you're not familiar with um, that, and then you're like, yeah, my dog's titled. It's going to be a great hunting dog. Well, no, it doesn't mean it's going to be a great hunting dog. Not but necessarily. It's yeah, it's done stuff. It's done stuff exactly. So once you have what you're looking for. Um, then you can start to find breeders that maybe have some of those, play some of those specific games. And then um, the next thing that we can recommend is to find somebody you feel comfortable with and trust what they're telling you. Yeah. Because I think one of the biggest mistakes that new puppy buyers make is they come into it with some visual um, requirements or expectations. My dog has to be this color or has to be this look or build. And that clouds the overall picture of, is this the right dog for me? For sure. For sure. Do you guys see, do people come to you guys as breeders and go, I want this color versus this color? Is there like people want one color more than the other? Do you guys see that? And if so, what? Absolutely. Now, from our standpoint, I have to um, first short hair. The conversation that we had on the way to go look at these puppies out of the paper were: if it's not this color and looks like this, we're not going home with it. Right. So I've been there, and I am exactly in the same. I was in the same shoes that all of these new people looking for their first dog or whatever we're in. Yeah, um, absolutely. What I do is educate and say, we would love to help you find a dog that you like the look of because every day you don't want to wake up and go, dang, my dog's ugly. But, <laughs> but at the same time, we try and say, you know, I think that this dog's going to be a better fit for you. And ultimately when it comes down to it, I think if people are just open to it, it can fall in love with any dog um, if it's the right dog for them. Right. So, right. But yeah, there's people that have specific uh, coloration that they're looking for, and it kind of goes in cycles. Sometimes everybody wants black dogs, or sometimes everybody wants liver dogs, or sometimes people want the whiter looking dogs. It just it's fairly cyclic. Um, sure. Sure. In, what people are going for at that point in time. Um, right. Yeah. Tyler's got another question for you or two. So do you guys, um, do you guys carry, I mean, are there certain time of the year that are better or, I mean, do you always have dogs available or are there, um, is that something that's more seasonal based or I guess. So we, we train all year round. So we're constantly in the field working with dogs, but we also um, have litters throughout the year. Now, uh, trained dogs, we don't have trained dogs available all the time. Uh, Some breeders keep dogs from their litters in order to produce a trained dog, so they have trained dogs available. Uh, Typically, we only have trained dogs available when we decide to... um, move a dog along that didn't quite work out for our breeding program or something like that. Uh, so we don't have a lot of trained dogs. Typically if we do, they're a lot more sought after right before hunting season or after the first couple weeks when somebody's out there going, man, hunting by yourself kind of sucks. I'd really like yeah. a dog with me. 
So that's usually the busiest time of year for phone calls, at least for us uh, looking for trained dogs, but um, we don't have a lot of them. So if we had one, they're already always gone by the beginning of hunting. Yeah. That sounds about right. Go, um, that's really determined by mom and dad or mom, excuse me. Dad has nothing. That is only a very small portion to do with, <laughs> but their, we, their heat cycles yeah, is we, what getting at. Yep, their heat cycles kind of depend on when the litters happen. Now we live in a mild enough climate. If I if I lived in the north still, I probably wouldn't do as much breeding in the dead of winter because it's hard to to take care of puppies and to do all of that. But sure, um, here pretty mild, so. Um, we run if if it happens we do have litters any time of the year now all of that being said um it is kind of nice to get a spring puppy that you can train through the summer and have ready to go right into its first hunting season gotcha goes to a fall puppy where the dog is coming on a year a year or maybe a little more right right around that year mark versus that six seven month mark and you know I think that I think that dogs that start in the spring ish um, that can hunt that first year end up definitely heading on the right track faster right um, probably not turning out overall once you get to that two or three year mark they're pretty well caught up but uh, you can get a lot more done with a puppy with a spring puppy that you can roll right in that first season hunting with a dog that if you put the time in during the spring and summer, right. you've got a dog ready to hunt its first season. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, Tyler, you got any more questions on kind of the breeding and the breed sort of deal? Uh, well, I guess my, my last question really is just, so what does it look like from like start to finish? Is, you know, if, I, if I have a dog that I want to bring to you, um, you know, what kind of time frame does that look like? And then... Um, I guess is that I, I would assume that it is not always the same from dog to dog, you know, just depending on how well the dog is catching on and stuff like that. But um, just, yeah, I'm just curious about what that looks like. Are you asking specifically about if you had a female and you wanted to breed one of our studs? Is that the question? Uh, no, it's just training wise, I guess. So if I had a dog that I was wanting to bring to you. Uh, yeah. Bring, sorry. I thought you said breed, breed. and I was. Oh, yep. Absolutely. Go ahead, Cap. Typically, we recommend dogs uh, coming in for training, formal training here at the kennel, anywhere from six to nine months old. Uh, that doesn't mean don't do anything with your puppy from the moment you get it home at eight weeks to when you send it to us at six months. Um, but we typically don't want a puppy younger than six months at the kennel for a couple of reasons. Uh, mentally, they're usually not ready for more formal training, sure. as well as uh, there's still a lot of times that those young puppies are working on potty training. And uh, though we try and maintain the potty training that people have worked on at their home, it's really not the best environment to potty train. Um, mm -hmm. So we want to have dogs in the kennel that are going to uh, help us maintain the cleanliness of our kennel and help, you know, the dog not get off on the wrong foot or the wrong paw, excuse me, to uh, their cleanliness and potty training. Um, and then we usually why because our kennel setup's a little bit different than mm -hmm. others. So our kennel is set up, uh, like Ethan said, a little bit differently than a lot of kennels in the sense that it's not indoor outdoor runs where the dogs have access to 
outdoor runs anytime they want through like a doggy door or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, some dogs can't figure that out and it's still quite (laughs) let them out. So there is that aspect of things, but also dogs that are able to go in and out whenever they please, that's what they do. They go in and out and in and out and in and out. And they play this game, uh, Oh, and there's other training sessions going on to watch them and bark and get all worked up. And then I come in when everyone's inside and they get themselves constantly worked up and they're constantly um, busy that when it comes time to actually do their training session, they're mentally drained and they're not focused and ready to work. So we accomplish, we would accomplish less in that training session um, as well as when we have the dogs in um, their indoor runs and then we let them out to go to the bathroom on um on a fairly set schedule they know that they get to go out to go to the bathroom every two to three hours um other than overnight you know that's you know they go out at 10 o'clock they get back out in the morning um but they start to learn i need to hold it so it helps develop that and maintain that potty training of i don't pee in my area i wait until i'm let out Um, as well some of these young dogs that come in for training that maybe their owners um, didn't quite get the socialization done that they needed to or, or should have focused on, that it allows that socialization to happen with other dogs. It's kind of like doggy recess where they get to go out, play with the other dogs, socialize with the other dogs, supervised. Um, but that builds a lot of these young dogs' confidence, and they need to be confident in order to excel at training um, and be ready for that training. So that helps as well as just like kids at school, they need that decompression time, that little bit of play around recess time. So that gives it to them. Sure. In a, in a controlled environment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great segue kind of into this training portion of things. Um, And then coming all the way back around to the original question, um, we, we take dogs anytime after six months of age, and we recommend a three-month program for, for any started for any starting program. That's a dog that's coming in green. Um, we're going to work on obedience as well as field work and then introduction to water work depending on ultimate goals of the owner. So, wow, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so kind of on the training side of things, that's a great little – intro um to your training methods what what kind of i mean can you think of anything that kind of sets your training methods apart from other people like if i'm if i'm a dog owner and i'm gonna go okay where am i gonna get my dog trained and why am i gonna want to come to standing stone kennels what what kind of sets you guys apart do you think i would say um a couple things. And these are things that we feel as well as our clients have told us outright is um, one, they like the way our kennel set up. Um, it's air conditioned in the summer, heated in the winter. So it's a climate controlled environment. Yep. Um, always really clean because of the fact that we expect the dogs not to go to the bathroom in their space. When you have a dog that's peeing and pooping in their space, you can't make it smell good all the time. Right. Whereas they go out to go to the bathroom, obviously accidents happen, but uh, that's not the norm. And then we also are really easy to get a hold of, and that makes a big difference to these um, people because these dogs are part of their family, right. part of their. They live with them in the house, sleep with them in bed, and so when they, um, 
get to get updates and see pictures of them in training and see how their dogs are cared for, that's really important to them. Right. Because they miss them while they're here at training, and it's understandable. Absolutely. So the more that they can get updates and hear from us and hear that their dog's doing great and see that their dog's doing great, that's really important to people. Um, as well as, though the dogs are in for training and we're trying to accomplish specific goals, the health and well-being is always a number one thing for us. You know, if Absolutely. you've got a dog being a little bit off, there's a reason for it. And yeah. instead of continuing to try and push through in their training, we say, well, let's find out why you're not feeling good, you know, because we're obviously not going to accomplish as much if you've got a dog that's not feeling 100%, as well as we got to find out why they're not feeling good. Right, right. And people appreciate that uh, and sure. want with their dogs because, like I said, a lot of these people, these dogs are their fur babies um, yeah. and part of the family, not just a dog in the backyard or a tool. Absolutely. When you bring a dog to us for training, um, we take the time to set specific goals for you and your dog. It's not a generic program. Um, drop your dog off. It's going to learn these things, and then you come pick it up. You know, it's, um, you know, there are some things that all dogs learn, but for the most part, we're catering that program to you and your dog's needs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay, I guess my next question, um, and I've just got a couple more, and then we can wrap this thing up. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about this in our intro phone call the other day, but how how do you guys adopt your training regimen to fit each dog's personality? Um, you know, you have different dogs that might be more hyper or more social or, you know, I mean, obviously every dog has a different personality. How are you guys adapting that training to fit those dogs? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'm sure that Ethan and I would probably answer it almost exactly the same. Um, we don't typically follow a specific method, and we get asked that a lot. Um, and, you, you know, we've probably been around just about long enough now that you can call it the standing stone method or way or whatever. But, um, it's more like a bag of tricks. Uh, we take and utilize each individual yeah. dog. Um, they need their own their own way of getting there. You know, dogs are, are very much individuals, and there is no set one method that's going to work for all of them. So we've taken with our experience and learning from other ways and methods and everything else to find lots of different ways to get from point A to point Z. And we apply what works best for that dog. So, And like you said, there's, there's softer dogs, less confident dogs. There's more bold, hyper dogs. Yeah. And definitely affects the way that we can approach training. If you've got a dog that's a little unsure and a little timid, if you just try and push them through the program because that's the way it's done, you're going to cause more issues and more problems than you're going to fix. Yeah. And um, I think I mentioned when I, we had our introductory phone call, it's like you've got a square hole and a round peg and you're trying to make it fit. That's not going to do anything other than break something. Right. Uh, you change the way that you approach training in a sense of being patient and trying to help that dog and 
make it a successful training situation instead of losing patients, getting frustrated and forcing something to happen because that's the way it's always been done that you're just going to break something. And yeah. then you're going to, then you're either going to have to fix it later or you're not. And it's going to go to somebody else that's going to have to fix it later. Right. And that's the way we approach most things like to, um, you know, take the approach to training to say, how can we help this dog? Yeah. And look at each individual situation as is a, a problem solving puzzle. Okay. So we've tried this and we're on day two and most dogs are there by day two and we're still here at ground zero. Yeah. How can we do this differently? Let's let's maybe try something. And that may be skipping a step. That may be going backwards. That may, you know, anything. Be pulling out a new trick from our bag. It just depends on each individual dog, each individual situation. And the experience that we've gained over the last almost 10 years of training to read dogs and know when something's not working and when a new idea needs to happen. And not that we only use what we've tried, you know, 100 times before. This has worked in, you know, 10 years ago at work. Um, we're still developing and finding new ways of training. I mean, you try something and you go, hey, I wonder if this would work better. And you try it. Wow. You know, that's a better way. And we are always open to learning new training and new things to help these dogs. So we can't just get stuck in our way and be like, no, our way is the best way because there are so many different ways to skin a cat. So many yeah. new ideas that are forming that if we just stick with what we've always done and our training methods are going to become stagnant and we're not going to continue helping dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, this is kind of my last question, I think. Uh, I think, because there's so much I could go on asking, but we'll, we'll wrap this one up and save the rest for another time. Um, if you could give someone three like tidbits of training advice, what would those three things be? Well, this will be interesting. You should ask for three from Ethan and three from me. That's what and, I want. Okay. <laughs> See what we come up with. Hmm. Three. Tidbits for training. Um, I know this okay. is a hard question. It's <laughs> a good one. There's so many things, but to pick the three that would be really important, I'm going to have to say that uh, for me, one would be patience. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> this is a virtue. Uh, <laughs> Is, uh, yeah, she always says patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in woman, never found in man. <laughs> Amen. There has never been a truer statement spoken about dog trainers or anybody that I've ever heard. <laughs> so patience, that would be one. Um, the next that I can say, and I think that this is a pretty common problem, especially with people that are gung-ho and ready to train their dog, is overtraining. Um, yeah, really. So my two tidbits are, are, are related, but are not, not exactly the same. These last two. So one is overtraining. Um, I think that that's probably one of the number one problems that 
new people can create is trying to do too much too fast too soon when your dog's not ready right and then um to go hand in hand with that the other would be and i forgot i bet i know where he was going with that getting greedy there it is wow man that is real marriage right there that is true love that was it. That was it. And this is something that I am guilty of on a regular basis is greedy training syndrome. Let's mm. let's let's put that in the book so that somewhere someday somebody can teach people about GTS in dog training. <laughs> but greedy trainer syndrome, it probably already is a thing. Um, it's it's just asking for too much. I mean, it's just asking yeah. for too much. And it's not exactly the same as doing too much too soon, but it's you'll get in a situation and you're working through a session and you make some progress, you don't end on that. Don't keep going. Let's see where we can go next. And then all of a sudden you start sliding back down mm. the slope. You have to backtrack to make some progress and then end when you could have ended up here. So, yeah. so be happy where you got to in a session and what you accomplished and know when to quit and know when to not ask for more. Yeah, gosh, that's got to be such a common fault of people. Um, it, it is, and it's because we we want to see progress, and we want to we're, and we're up, excited. excited about this. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so it would be those would be my three. Yeah. All right, Kat, let's hear your three. Okay. Well, I'm gonna take a little bit of a step back. Great. Before training formally starts, um, and I cannot stress enough socialization. So socialization with your young dog and puppy prior to actually sending it off for training or even before you decide to start really get into more of that formal training other than just like the basic obedience, um, socialization and people a lot of times, yeah. oh, well, my puppy plays with my kids at home all the time. They're really well socialized. Mm. That's not what socialization means, at least in the sense of what I'm meaning. Socialization means that puppy needs to experience new environments, new things, new expectations as much as possible because it's going to create a very mentally stable dog that's right. well-rounded and ready for more training, usually at an earlier age. If yeah. we get a dog in for training that has had the minimal, if any, socialization and they've pretty much just lived at their parents' home and gone out potty in the backyard and maybe played with their kids for the last four or five months and then comes in for training. Well, the kennel's new. The other dogs are new. Absolutely. The other people are new. The, the, grass, is the new. grass is new. The car is <laughs> new. And this dog's brain is on overload and they are in, you know, almost like shock. Like, yeah. what have you done to me? And then it takes us a long time to get that dog comfortable with us, comfortable with its new environment and, ready to trust us and train yeah. at the camp. So socialization. Um, I was also going to say greedy. Don't get greedy. Mm. But um, because that's really important as well as, like Ethan said, it goes hand in hand with um, asking too much because, and I don't think he explained why not to ask too much, but we want to keep, especially with young dogs and puppies, um, the training fun and exciting. And if you overdo, let's say, retrieving, for example, let's right. say you've got a puppy that loves to retrieve and you say, we're going to retrieve for an hour every day. Oh, boy. <laughs> that takes the game from being fun to being a job and right. it gets boring and the dog doesn't want to do it. 
Well, that and even just if you think about anything that we have access to on a regular basis, we start to take for granted, right? Yeah. So if you eat, let's say steak, I mean, you eat prime rib or you eat a ribeye steak if, um, every single day. It's no longer um, fancy or exciting or, oh my gosh, I can't wait to eat another ribeye because you had one last night and the night before and the night before and the night before. So you get bored with it and you want to try something different yeah. or you don't want to eat the steak anymore. So it's, That's a good analogy. It's the same thing with dogs. It's if, if the retrieving thing is always there, they'll get bored with it. Or Absolutely. It's so. And then my last thing is um, more about training the person than the dog. When we get a dog in for training and they've been here for three, four months of the intro stuff, or heck, even a dog that's been here for seven months of training um, or more, it's so important to work with the owners on showing them everything that their dog has learned, making sure that they feel comfortable handling the dog and expecting same expectations. Um, so there's there's a transition of training the dog and also training the owner. And a lot of owners either say, well, can I just get my dog delivered? Do I have to come pick it up? Oh, man. They're in such a hurry when they pick up their dog that they don't even want to spend more than, you know, 15 minutes. And you think about, your dog has been here for a minimum of three months. And yeah. I'm trying to act that into a 15-minute show and tell. Um, stuff's going to get lost in translation. Then you're going to get your dog home and be like, well, were they even trained? I can't get them to do anything that they're supposed to know. Right. Well, you don't know how to ask and your dog doesn't think you mean business. So, yeah. so having the time, I mean, you've already Jeez. invested the time and the money for All your right. dog. You need to invest it in you. Otherwise you've just wasted that. Yeah. To uh, take the time to transfer the power. Yep. Yeah, that I, that was one of my questions that I just kind of wondered is how, how you train these dogs and then transfer them back over to an owner that they haven't seen in three months or haven't had association with in a while. But that's, yeah. It, it just involves a few reps, and dogs are very placed and situationally oriented. So you take a dog home, and they go, hey, I'm home. I can do what I did at home. Yeah. And very easy for them to revert back to that if the owner doesn't understand how to handle the new behaviors they've learned. Or feel comfortable asking and use it. And people a lot of times think, well, I can't use the e-collar because that I don't feel comfortable. Well, the collar isn't punishment. Right. It's not cruel. If it's used, that. yeah, if it's used properly, which right. we are using it properly, <laughs> it is a great communication tool and it creates less confusion with your dog because they know what the expectation is and they know um, how they've been trained with this collar. So use it. Absolutely. Properly. Absolutely. Well, guys, I think that's going to do it on our end. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to be with us this morning. If people want to find you, where can they do that? Instagram, Twitter, website. Um, can you guys give us a rundown of where people can find your stuff? Yeah. Um, Instagram and Facebook are probably our primary social media platforms, but we also um, have a Twitter account, though I'm not really sure how it works. But I don't tweet, but apparently our stuff auto tweets for us. Nice. Um, You're doing this well. You're doing it really well. <laughs> and then we also have a YouTube channel, which is a huge, um, great resource for people with lots of training videos. And then our website, standingstonekennels.com, which can get you to all of these other places. 
And then we also have Patreon, um, which is an account and a subscription-based service that allows you to um, get involved with training to the level that you want. It's an online dog training community where you can ask us questions, post videos of your training sessions to get critiqued by the pros and um, help you work with your puppy from home. Great. And the, the most powerful part about that whole process, you can not only see your training sessions, but you, your training sets, excuse me, training sessions and responses, but you can actually see everybody else's as well. So you get to watch Steve and his dog work through something and you go, Hey, I'm having that same problem. And yeah. now I've got an idea of how to fix it. So, yeah. Awesome. That is fantastic. And do you guys have any litters of puppies that are coming up in case someone wants to give you a ring and take one of those we, home? We just launched our brand new website and I have just finally finished updating our expected <laughs> litter 2019 actually. So yeah, they can check it out on our website. Um, we are still taking a few deposits, but the 2019 litters are filling up pretty fast. Great. Awesome. Well, if you guys want to get on that, then find the website and get your deposits in. That is wonderful. Guys, thank you again so much for being here and we are looking forward to some future conversations. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Yep. Thanks. Take care. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the All-American Outdoor Podcast. You can find us on Instagram by searching at All-American Outdoor Podcast. You can visit our website, theallamericanoutdoorpodcast.com, or you can find us on Facebook by searching the All-American Outdoor Podcast. Thank you to Ethan and Kat from Standing Stone for coming on and teaching us all about dogs and short hairs and training. Um, we look forward to future conversations, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Take it easy.